A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. You're listening to After Law, broadcasting from the beautiful South Berlin. Except no substitute. Hello dear listeners all around the world, welcome to another edition of Achtung Millwall. My name is Nick Hart, this is the number one Millwall podcast and we're covering another random fixture from the past. I say random, it's actually a request from one of our followers on on Twitter, Kevin Fuller. Uh, Thank you for the email, or for the private message Kevin. Kevin contacted me via the, the DMs on Twitter to ask if he can choose a fixture and... I'm always your servant, dear listeners, as you know. So Kevin has chosen a great fixture, um, one that I think lives in the memory of anyone, myself included, who followed the Lions in 88-89, the first division season. He's chosen fixture played on the 22nd of October 1988. Millwall 2, Nottingham Forest 2. He says, if we can choose a day, mine would be the 22nd of October 1988. I went home thinking we could beat anyone that day. Alas, it started to go downhill after that. Um, yeah, I think you're right there, Kevin. It was. Um, I, I, I've often thought to myself that the year 1988, and by that I mean the back end of the promotion season, 87-88, and then the first few months of the season, 88-89. So take that year was a golden year because the lead up to... Uh, the 87 part of the promotion season was, was so-so. Um, it was it was the build-up. It was the development for the crescendo that year. Um, but 88, um, kind of the end of one season, the beginning of the new season, for me, lives in my mind as a kind of a golden year. It can never really be topped. Um, the, the, the sheer building excitement of promotion, the, the crescendo of, of, of winning the championship, and then those kind of adrenaline field rides of the opening fixtures of Division One, uh, a place I don't think many of us, any of us ever dreamed we would get to. I, I certainly didn't. And the, these games, and in particular this game, Mill 2, Nottingham Forest 2, um, I suppose alongside the QPR fixture where we went unbelievably top of the league briefly, um, beat QPR at home free to just a few weeks before this fixture, unimaginable. You know, I mean, I followed the Lions from Division 3, same as you. Dear listener, you know we've both seen them in the um, the depths of the third tier, um, getting beat at places like Slough and and going to places like Halifax, and then suddenly we were catapulted into the big time. Um, it's still and would always, I think, for me personally, go to 
the end of my days as, as the only year that I can never truly say as a Mill fan was it just exists as this kind of golden golden dream almost. I don't know how else I can put it. So just as a little bit of a lead up to this particular fixture, which as I've said, for me is a standout from the whole season. Um, it's probably just worth mentioning Nottingham Forest's part in the drama of the day because um, obviously nowadays Forest are another championship side and we go there and they're, they're just another championship opponent. A big club, of course, but at this time in the 1980s, they were probably on the wane slightly. I sometimes think it's quite hard to detect when great um, clubs or great great anything really are on the wane because it's not immediately apparent at that time. Um, they'd won the European Cup twice in the early 80s um, under the management of one of the great managers of all time, Brian Clough. And they still were first division contenders. You know, this, this was a big side. This was a European level side arguably starting to, to to fade from the glory days. But as I've just said, that wasn't so apparent at this point. They were one of the big fixtures of the season, alongside the Arsenals, the Spurs, the Liverpools, the Manchester Uniteds. This, they were in that category. So the the visit of, of Nottingham Forest in, in October followed us going to the top of the league previously. Each of these early fixtures from memory were like in, in insane cup ties. I don't know how how else I can put it. Um, the adrenaline, the, the, the heart thumping. I remember when we beat Everton in the first home game in the top flight. The, the insane atmosphere within the den when the place was on a surge. It was an incredible place to follow football. Um, the new den also, I, I, I like the new den for the same reason, because you get these manic insane atmospheres where anything becomes possible and these fixtures in particular the Nottingham Forest fixture for me were part of that very Millwall sense of uh, insanity I don't, <laughs> um, I, I, if I was writing I'd probably try and play around with some better words but as I'm speaking I'll, I'll stick with insanity as a good choice so the 22nd of October was I remember it well it's one of these fixtures that stands in my mind from that season um, I was living in Alpington at the time and I'd driven up, I'd cut it fine to be absolutely honest for various reasons. I'd cut it fine to drive from Alpington up to up to um, Colblow Lane, Part, a mare to get parking, traffic was monster coming across Blackheath down through Deptford. I actually got into the ground late, um, I think it kicked off by about 10 minutes, something I hate. I've always hated getting in after the game's kicked off, it's just a, one of my mental loops, dear listeners. But I parked miles away. You could tell it was a big crowd. 16,874 to be exact, but it was a big crowd in the den because of the distance I had to park to walk to the ground and, and get into the into the stadium. Um, I can't remember much from the first half. I do have a press report, which I'll read to you before we, we close this edition. There is also YouTube footage, which is worth finding because it just is a... It's like a time machine YouTube, and I think it must have been one of those uh, end of season, you know, roundup videos that we put out at the time because it's just the goals basically and one or two moments of action, not an awful lot of it, but it does bring back the memories as soon as you as soon as you look at it. Um, but I do remember well going the first goal behind, scored by Steve Hodge, a decent little player um, for Nottingham Forest, industrious little midfielder. And I remember the kind of strange looping shot. He had his back to goal, and it's right on the 45th minute of the first half. 
we were battling, I think, from memory. I don't remember huge amounts from the first half, other than the fact that I got in late and found a spot in the end on the halfway line. Um, and it was a looping shot that kind of went in over the top of Brian Vaughan's head and in off the underside of the crossbar. So we went in 1-0 down, which was um, a flattener because the, the atmosphere had been strong, as, as I've said a few times. This was a big club, big atmosphere. And to go in 1-0 at half-time was... Um, you know, it, it felt like the first dent in a season that had that far been relentless kind of cup time, manic wins and, and, you know, atmospheres and so on. Second half opened up with another goal, um, again scored by Hodge just after kickoff in the second half. So we'd had a, a double blow, a 45th minute goal as we'd gone into the tunnel and then a 47th minute goal. Um, almost from kickoff, it was it was a long ball forward from the goalkeeper, as was often the style of the time. Forrest had a reputation for playing good football. They were kind of a flick inside. I think it's Brian Clough. I'm just looking at the footage now as I'm speaking to you, dear listener. Well put away by the on, oncoming Steve Hodge for 2-0. For um, still a half a football to play. And I must admit, at that point, I thought we're up against it here. Um, the YouTube does have a couple of other chances and a good head down here for Terry Herlock. I'm just re-watching it as I'm speaking to you, um, who, who kind of blasted on, on target and said, well saved by the goalkeeper. One thing you do notice watching the footage is what a great midfielder Terry Herlock was. And I think something I just wanted to um, get across for younger listeners is that he has this um, very Millwall image of being the kind of barrel-chested, rugged, no-nonsense, uncompromising midfielder um, which of course that's what he was alongside another rugged uncompromising you know Millwall uh, midfielder in Des Bryany but but Herlock could play and I think that's something that sometimes gets lost in the the mythology around Terry Herlock um, he had a he had a deft touch he could shoot he didn't score many but he was when he did get you know, there, were, there were spectacular goals blasts on, on target um, the opening goal for Millwall, so we're 2-0 down, we're coming into the last 10 minutes and I think like most of us at that point, I thought we were just going to be playing out the game and you know that, that would be, in that, be a defeat against a, a big club. But he floats in a beautiful ball, Terry Herlock, well met by one of the greatest players in Millwall history, Teddy Sheringham, who actually blasts the ball on target of his head for 2-1. That ignited the crowd, that utterly... Um, fired, a, fired up a crowd that wanted a miracle. And if you ever wanted a miracle, you go, you went to Coldblow Lane, you gave the Mill crowd this late comeback because it was um, the atmosphere was in, as I said a few times, it was, was manic inside the ground. The equalising goal came as a result of Teddy Sheringham, a well-known striker. Teddy, who go on to win the lot famously with Manchester United and the career other clubs, Spurs and so on. But I think it's also worth saying, we've mentioned Terry Herlock's ability on the ball, which probably um, belies the image of, of him as a player, which is stereotypical in my opinion. I think he was a much, much better midfielder than he's sometimes given credit for. Teddy Sheringham as a striker was not your, was not your um, straight down the line centre forward. He, would, he had a knack and he developed it in his game over time of pulling wide right or wide left, just to mess with the defence, just to pull them out of shape. And the equalising goal, having got that, that uh, first one back, 2-1, we're now um, going into the equalising goal. I'm just going to let that roll as I'm talking to you. Came as a result, it was a nice 1-2 on the right with Herlock again. 
Teddy floats in a, a beautiful cross and it's well met by Neil Ruddock who plants it in the bottom left corner and cue, cue madness. Um, you get a sense of that looking at the Alderson Road end as the ball lands in the goal. Ruddock peels away, mobbed by, um, by his fellow teammates. He falls on, on the floor and, you know, it's that, that came in the 86th minute. Uh, the equalised by Neil Ruddock. So two each, 86 minutes, and it was set up for um, a truly exhilarating finish. The YouTube footage cuts out um, at the at the point of the equaliser, which is a shame because anyone who was there that day will <laughs> I'll never forget. You know the, the noise on the halfway line at this point. You can imagine it, dear listener. If you weren't there, you'll have to imagine it. It was. Immense. I, I think I've sometimes compared it to coming out of a a, a gig. You know, if you've been to the uh, show my age now, the Hammersmith Odeon back in the day, you listened to a band, and as you came home, your ears were singing because of the noise. That was those, those were my ears as I left the den that afternoon. They were singing because of the sheer explosion of noise that came really from the the seventy ninth minute onwards, the first uh, goal and then the equalising goal by Neil Ruddock. We actually hit the crossbar. I think it must have been the last kick of the game. And I think it was Ruddock who went close again from another header. It's not shown on YouTube. It's um, it, it it would have been the um, almost too much to, uh, you know, it'd been the moment of moments, wouldn't it, if that one had gone in. As dramatic as the point against Nottingham Forest were, was, um, it would not be enough to put us back into the, the top position. In fact, for the remainder of the season, the Lions would very creditably, dear listener, hover around the second, third and fourth spots. And as late as March 1989, we were still realistic uh, championship title contenders, an incredible thought. Um, it would fade towards the end of the season and Mill would finish in the end after tailing off a of form um, at the at the end of the tail end of the 88-89 season, we'd finish 10th in the first division table, our highest ever placing since formation in 1885 with 53 points, one place above Manchester United. Wonderful afternoon, wonderful team. I thought it might be worth just reading out the team that played that day, that played this this two-all draws. Hodge for Forrest, 45 and 47 minutes. Uh, scorers for Mill, Sheringham on 79, Neil Ruddock on 86, in front of 16,874. The Mill team, Brian Horn in goal, great goalkeeper. Backline of Dawes, Wood, Steve Wood. Alan McCleary, Keith Stevens. Wood was, was replaced by Danny Salman on, in the 44th minute. He must have been injured. Don't remember that. Um, the midfield, George Lawrence, great winger. Probably shone most brightly in the promotion season, Chicken George. Um, only played 12 times in the first division for us. He played for Southampton in the previous career. Um, he was actually replaced by Neil Ruddock, and that was an inspired substitution by, by John Doherty in the 78th minute. Midfield, the dynamic duo of Herlock and Briley. Kevin O'Callaghan on the wing and up front. What a classic front two. Cascarino and Sheringham. Um, listeners, it does not get better than Cas Tony Cascarino, Teddy Sheringham. Beautiful late summer's day. Indian summer, as they call it. Um, I left the ground with my ears singing. It'll be a day that I will never forget. I can't forget it. We had um, made a comeback and almost beaten the European Cup winners just, just a few years beforehand. And it exists as one of the golden dreams of, of 1988-89. Now, I've chosen a couple of, of 
players just to focus in on. I'm going to finish by reading the um, the Daily Mirror report just uh, just for completeness. But I chose Jules Lawrence because he's a player that um, doesn't get an awful lot of attention. Uh, nicknamed Chicken Jules, he had a, he had a career that um, spanned quite a few clubs. But from the Millwall perspective, 33 appearances with uh, three from the substitutes bench in 87 to 89. Um, scoring five goals, he'd signed in the summertime of the promotion season. He'd signed in the summer of 87 for 160,000 from Southampton. Um, I've remembered George Lawrence signing for us and thinking it was a real mark of ambition by Millwall Football Club to be signing players from clubs at this level, 160,000. Cascarino was a couple of hundred thousand from memory. And it seemed like we were showing real ambition. And so it would turn out to be a happy ending to the story. Um, Jules would leave us for Bournemouth in, um, in, in 1989 after just 12 appearances in the top flight. Um, I don't know what... Um, maybe maybe John Doherty was looking for better quality. I, don't know, I, I think that's probably the, the reason for that. Um, 65,000 he was sold to, to Bournemouth. Um, another player I just wanted to pick out, we just mentioned Neil Ruddock, um, a Millwall apprentice, of course. Um, I've always felt that Neil Ruddock was the great Millwall player that got away. I don't know if you feel that way. Dear listener, he'd come through the the, uh, the youth system. He'd been a, a youth sold to Spurs in eighty four, eighty five for fifty five thousand. We bought him back from Tottenham in June eighty eight for three hundred thousand as part of the um, the strengthening for uh, you know for the season for the promotion into the top flight. Um, I can only imagine, and I've got no insight or inside track on this whatsoever, that he and John Doherty didn't see eye to eye. Um, he was sold. Um, to to Southampton for two hundred fifty thousand. I mean, just about got our money back ish in February nineteen eighty nine after just six appearances for the Lions, four as substitute, and quite quite incredibly five goals. So that's not far short of a golden appearance for for Neil Ruddock. Um, great great character in the game. He'd go on to Liverpool and Spurs and TV and all the rest of it and become the Neil Ruddock that we know and love. But it's great to see Neil Ruddock in a Mill shirt causing such excitement at Colblow Lane. It's it's well worth checking out that YouTube footage, dear listeners. I think I said Sunday Mirror. It's actually the Daily Mirror um, from Monday, October the 24th, 1988. The Monday morning report on Mill 2, Nottingham Forest 2, is a shock. 1.25 million move for Millwall striker Teddy Sheringham by Glasgow Rangers manager Graham Souness, Teddy is Souness target, says the Daily Mirror. Um, exclusive, Glasgow Rangers are lining up a 1.25 million bid for mill striker Teddy Sheringham. Sheringham showed his value by heading a great first goal and setting up a second for substitute Neil Ruddock. Um, Rangers are looking to buy a quality front player and expected to contact Mill this week. He'll actually stay for some years after this. I mean, we'll be relegated the season after this one we're talking and Teddy would stay on um, unbelievably in the modern context, into the following season back in, in the second tier. Um, money is no object for Rangers boss Souness, but he's unlikely to get much change out of Millwall. Millwall on the verge, it goes on, Millwall on the verge of becoming a very accomplished side. They looked dead and buried when Steve Hodge gave Forrest a two-goal lead, but hit Brian Clough's boys with a raw and rousing fight back that kept their unbeaten record intact. Also impressive was the way they kept their heads as they sought the winner, Roared on by a crowd that produced a kind of atmosphere that was a throwback to Den's old glory days. 
The unsettled and unnerved forest who are grateful to ride out the storm. They might not have survived if referee Dennis Hedges had added on any injury, injury time to no injury time. Um, great report. I'll, I'll copy this and stick it on the um, link when, when I send out the podcast. Great choice by Kevin Fuller. Um, I'm more than happy to do requests, especially for these great, great fixtures like this one. So fantastic choice. If you do have any requests that you want me to cover, dear listeners, do uh, message me on, on Twitter. You can email us at gmail.com. More than happy to um, do my best to satisfy. So huge thanks to Kevin Fuller, Neil 2, Nottingham Forest 2, 22nd of October 1988. Classic, classic fixture. Until the next edition of Acton Mill, dear listeners, it's Arriva Dirty Mill. Bye for now. Thank you for listening to Acton Mill. If you enjoyed the show, please head over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a cheeky little review. Arriva Dirty Mill. Till next time. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. The secret to summer-ready skin is here. Osea's number one best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil, clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity and transform dry skin to silky, soft, and unbelievably glowing. Its signature scent of freshly squeezed grapefruit, cypress, and mango mandarin transports you to sun-kissed summer days. Get healthy, glowing skin for summer with clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code GLOW at OseaMalibu.com.